great to be with you all. It's great to be with you all. And uh, thanks for your versatility. Uh, I love watching people's expressions as they come in and they're like, because the seat's in a different place. And uh, anyway, uh, if you don't like change, I'm sorry. If you do like change, you're welcome. So it's great, great to be with you. Great to be with you. Uh, sometimes in life, I kind of feel like I live in the middle of P.T. Barnum's circus. When I mentioned this to my daughter Grace the other day, she said to me, well, are you a guy in the middle or are you one of the freaks in the show? Don't laugh because you're in the picture as well. But, but I, I thought about this and, and I thought about why do I feel like I'm in the circus? Well, often, you know, in a show, you're putting on something on the outside that isn't necessarily on the inside. And we can all be guilty at times of living in a way where what we present isn't the true us or isn't the best us, if I could say it that way. You know, living our best lives. And, and so today I'm going to kind of go after something and I'm going to say this. If we live our lives ignoring what's on the inside at the detriment of what's on the outside, perhaps life won't go so well for us, or perhaps we won't live the best life that Jesus has prepared for us. So we live in patterns. We live in cycles, but we live in patterns as well. And what's repeated tends to become the normal. And what becomes the normal becomes accepted, even if it's not good. And I'll give you an example. So here's a, here's a little cartoon. And uh, dad's saying to little boy, what's the magic word to get what you want? Now, when my mum was raising me, how many of you could guess what she taught me that that magic word was? Please. No, 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 I'm, I'm old enough that it was please and not now. Because we go through generations, don't we? Well, this is 2019, folks. That's no longer the magic word. This is the magic word. No offense meant in any direction. But please is no longer the normal answer for children to get what they want and simply, simply say, well, I'm offended. And people use the ruse of their offense to get what they want and manipulate those that are around them because sometimes I think people are scared of offending others. I mean, people apart from me, that is. But, you know, people now make a choice to get offended when we don't like their confusion their decisions, or even their grievous mistakes that they're making that might be harming them or themselves or others, suddenly they're offended. And what's going on on the inside is dictating the external life, and the external life is affecting others, and um, I think we can do better than that, especially those of us that walk in life with Jesus Christ. So I'm going after it today. So hold on to your heart. We're praying for you. We've been praying for you all week. It's going to be okay. But I really want to go after uh, what God's got for us this morning. So um, here's, a, here's another question for you. My technology wakes up. Doesn't work. Whack it. That's what I say. Here's a question. Are your emotions indicators or dictators? Rhetoric question. You don't need to call out your answer. But think about it. We covered this off in night school uh, in semester one of 2019, and we had a really powerful night where we talked about our emotions and uh, the prosperity or the health of our emotions in partnership with God. And what we unpacked was the reality for many people that their emotions begin to dictate their life to them. Whereas, in fact, what we're going to look at today is that's not necessarily the answer. But if we leave our emotions unchecked, then what's going on inside of us cannot be helpful for what's going on outside of us. And that's what I really want to look at today. But in context of what Jesus is leading us into in a church at the moment, and I really do have troubles with my technology. Craig, if you could be my, thank you. I wrote this phrase during the week. When we allow our emotions to run rampant, we live out of control and we miss out, we risk missing out on the joy of Jesus. The joy of Jesus is a phrase that I've been using these past few weeks as we've been speaking about joy and pointing us back to the joy, the joy of our salvation, the joy of knowing Jesus, the joy of walking with Him, the joy of hope eternal in Him. 
But if we get things out of control, rampant is the word I chose to use, then we can actually risk missing that. And sometimes we, we get guilty by um, abdicating responsibility to the devil. We say, well, you know what? The devil stole my joy. Well, actually, you know what? I reckon you gave it to him. And I, please don't hear criticism this morning. I'm trying to call it for what it is, but I'm trying to invite us into that place of joy that Jesus has prepared for us that we should live in and live from. As I said the other week, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face because your face is a message to the community and we should be the message of Jesus to the community. When they see us, they should see him. So we shouldn't be dragging our bottom lip along the ground telling everyone we're offended. We should live in that space of joy. So uh, if I could click. Click to the next slide. This is the message for this morning. The message is called the spark of joy. And inside each of you, there's a spark of joy just waiting to ignite. But if you could click it again, what you'll notice is that the phrase for you, the big thought for you to take away is the trigger for the spark of joy is in your hands. You hold on to that. I want to show you that today. Not to make you wholly responsible for it, but to to, to allow us all to see that we have a part to play in that. Trigger is yours and you get to choose what you do with it. Hopefully, by the end of this morning, you don't ignore what's necessary for you to step into that. You get to choose if you miss out on the joy of Jesus. And I'm not saying that external circumstances don't affect us. They do. Trust me. Haven't had a great year. I've walked through seasons of grief and loss of family. And I I understand that, you know, business failure, all that sort of thing. So I understand circumstances play a part. But choice and the trigger, trigger finger is ours. Okay? So, also need to tell you that when we're speaking about emotions, that it's really important to acknowledge that God gave us emotions. God expresses emotions in Scripture. When you read the Bible to learn to know God, you'll learn to see that God sometimes gets angry, that God has compassion and love, that God has, has these emotions that He expresses to His people. Jesus, as the Son of God, we read in the Gospels, expressed emotions. Jesus wept. Jesus made up a whip and got angry. But what we've got to do is understand that they're valid and they're God given. So if we could see that next slide. I've got some of these phrases for you. Uh, You can take photos of the screens or what I usually do with slides such as today's is I make the slides available on the podcast. So if you get our app or check out iTunes, um, you'll see today's message. And you'll also be able to actually have these slides, all right? So I'll make those available during the week because I've got a lot for you this morning. But emotions are real. They're absolutely real. This is, we cannot deny them. Emotions are also valid. We can't say, well, they're not there. I'm feeling sad. No, you're not. You can't say that. They're valid. They're absolutely where I'm at. But we've got to also understand that God gave them to us for a reason, that God's given us these emotions and we've, we've got to work out what to do with them, but they're not to dictate the journey, especially when they're not healthy. They're indicators, not dictators. And there's a couple of examples I want to look at um, before I get to my main character. And I, I suppose it would be fair for me to say, why don't I just talk about me first? Because I'm on this journey. I'm trying to understand why God gave me the emotions he gave me. I mean, you've only got to be here for five minutes before you realize that I'm really emotional. I wear my emotions on my sleeve and and it frustrates me sometimes that I can't control those, especially when I'm up here leading the church on a journey. Time and time again, I've gone before God saying, come on, God, give me a break. And he's like, no, it's who I made you. Harness those and use them in the way that I've designed for you to use them. On a not so positive uh, angle, what would it be like, or, or how dangerous would it be, If I suddenly came to church on Sunday and I was angry and I decided to preach that anger from here. I mean, you might think I've already done that. I haven't, but, um, uh, but, 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 you know, that would just be completely unsafe because if I'm allowing what's going on inside me not to be processed with God and then I just vomit that on you, I mean, that's dangerous. I mean, I could hurt someone. So, so I've got to understand that, that, that my emotions are real, they're valid, God's given them to me, but, but I just don't get the excuse to then vomit them over everyone. I can't do that. None of us should. And then I was thinking about this. What about my heart as a dad? It's a fragile thing. 
I'm a dad to a few, but I'm a spiritual dad to many. And my heart is, is being shaped by Father God, my Father in heaven, as he teaches me to be a spiritual father. But that requires me to, to be vulnerable and to learn how to deal with heartbreak, to learn how to deal with frustration, to learn how to deal with anger, disappointment, hope and joy all in the same day sometimes. But my heart as a father is a fragile thing, and if I don't bring it to God and ask him as my father to help me, then, I mean, I'm sure as heck going to just end up leading you guys in the wrong place. And I, and I do apologize because I don't get it right all the time. None of us do. We're not perfect. We're going to see that this morning. But the point is to show you that our emotions on the inside can have an effect on us and on the outside and what we do, and therefore that has an effect on others. I've got a biblical example for you. If you could just click the slide. I wanted to talk to you about a guy in the Old Testament called King Saul, commonly referred to by me as an egg. He was, but at the beginning, he was chosen by God. He was set apart and anointed as the first king of Israel. And when the prophet came and they called out his name because his family was chosen and he was the one, guess where they found him? Hiding in the baggage. He's head and shoulders above everyone else. He's beautiful to look at. He's called the king and in 1 Samuel 10, they had to go and find him because he's hiding in the luggage. Now you might think, oh, that's fine. He's just a bit shy. Yeah, but there's a pattern. Because if you read from 1 Samuel 10 onwards, you'll get to 1 Samuel 13 and you'll see the Israelites are facing a mighty army of Philistines, as numerous as the dust on the desert floor, and Saul's got 3,000 soldiers. So he takes 2,000 for himself because he's king. He gives 1,000 to his son, Jonathan, and then Saul goes and leaves Jonathan to fight the battle. Saul hides behind his son, who's ill-equipped. But there's a pattern. In 1 Samuel 14, you'll read that Samuel, King Saul, sorry, was, was hiding under a tree when he was supposed to be out leading his people. And then we get to the non-battle, the, the famous non-battle in 1 Samuel 17. You remember the story about the big ugly guy called Goliath, right? Well, King Saul was the king of the army. And you read in 1 Samuel 17, it says this, King Saul was terrified and deeply shaken. And in this moment, he hides behind a boy called David. Patterns established. Now, I don't have enough data to psychoanalyze him, but I can see what's going on on the outside. And what's going on on the outside had an effect on an entire nation. And I believe it points to what was going on on the inside. So I wonder, I wonder what's going on inside you today. I've been praying for you all week, and I actually this week initiated an intercession team for you for today, that, that we would bring our hearts before God this morning to be open, to be vulnerable, to be willing to allow him to touch us, to heal us. But it all starts with us acknowledging, I wonder, I wonder what's going on inside you, that you'll be bringing before God today. As, as part of my preparation for today, knowing that um, I'm not an expert in this area, I decided to consult experts. And, and I really just want to honour Laura as an advisor. Thank you, Laura. You were very, very helpful to me this week. Um, she's, she's very qualified. Uh, uh, you may not know this, but the staff team have what we call clinical supervision, which means uh, someone qualified to keep us safe, or at least try and keep us safe. And she plays that role. She's engaged by the elders on behalf of the church, you, to meet with the staff to help us to stay healthy um, as we walk through the journey of ministry. And, but Laura's an expert in this. If I could have the next slide. She helped me to learn a few things, hopefully also to soften my language. But one of the simple things, and this becomes um, just some con uh, a theory for you to understand today because it's going to help you, is, is, is Laura said to me, look, we all have emotions, but before that emotion, there's a thought. There is somewhere in us a thought that triggers that emotion. 
The thought could be a response or a reaction. It could be something that's ingrained in us. But nonetheless, we have a thought. A thought leads to an emotion, and an emotion leads to a behavior. So what's going on on the inside affects what's going on the outside. So everyone say thought, emotion, behavior. Thought, emotion, behavior. And we're going to look at this so we're going to see what it means for us. So I can have a look at the next slide. I also, thanks to Isaac, who's uh, on Zone today, found this Facebook page called Strength to Strength, and I'd highly recommend their Facebook page. Their website is amazing. I've put the address up there for you. They're a group of Christian counselors, mostly based in Christchurch. They run seminars and workshops. They work in churches, specializing in supporting church communities to go on a journey in a healthy way. But read what they say on the screen. Become aware of what you're feeling. Don't fall into pitfalls of denying your feelings or engaging them or indulging them. Instead, be honest about what you're feeling. Learning to name your feelings is the start of emotional intelligence. Even in business contexts, I will teach business owners that the, the first step to success is know thyself. And that's what we call emotional intelligence. It's understanding who we are, the way we're wired and what's going on, and being real about it in order that we can get the right outcomes uh, instead of the wrong ones. Unhelpful. But let's have a look. They also gave me this cartoon. Have a look at this. I like this one. The heart says something feels wrong. The brain says, quick, scroll endlessly through social media. The heart's like, but shouldn't you allow me to feel my feelings? And the brain goes, nope. Truth is, sometimes we numb our emotions with distractions. One of the uh, books I read, uh, written by a pastor who was very helpful in me understanding some of this for me personally, he said the biggest risk, and he was talking to pastors, but I'll include you in this, is we get to a place of self-medication. For avoidance, for numbing. It doesn't have to be alcohol or drugs. It could just be Facebook or trade me. AliExpress. What's my point? Let's not ignore our feelings and let's not get numb to what God's trying to provoke in us because he's always trying to lead us to a place of healing and wholeness. All right? We're all on a journey. We're all going through this. So this is why I say this slide, and, and um, I'm going to repeat it several times for you because I really wanted to, you to get it, is when we allow those emotions to run rampant, there's a risk, depending on what they are and the effect they have, there's a risk that we miss out on this joy of Jesus. So I want to, I want to give you a second biblical example. This is my main character for today. And uh, if you could just uh, put the picture up, I want to talk to you, uh, ask you this question, who's the, who's the guy with, that walked on water with Jesus? Peter. I want to talk about Peter. Peter, one of the disciples chosen by Jesus. I want you to see patterns in his life. Peter shows us through his behavior that there was patterns of emotions that came from somewhere. It affected his life as a disciple. The truth is, when you think about Peter and what I'm going to show you, he often acted erratically. Some would say without thinking. For example, how many husbands would acknowledge that you'd get in major trouble if you invited all your friends home when your mother-in-law was in bed sick? I mean, I'd get in trouble. But that's what Peter did. He said, boys, come home for a feed. You know, and the wives, did, all the women did all the cooking in those days. And all his mates turn up, horde of guys, hungry Jew, Jews, and poor old mum. This is a one-room house. Like, they don't have like a, 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 an ensuite with a, a secondary dwelling for mother-in-law to live in. It's like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You know, they all lived in one room, in one bed probably. Erratic, just not thinking. And, and, and like I said, he jumped out of the boat. Why did he jump out of the boat? To walk on water. Did he think about that? I don't know. There's no evidence to say he didn't. He asked Jesus, if it's you, Lord, call me to come and... That could be deemed thinking about it, but did he think what was going to happen when he actually got on the water? In the garden, 
Jesus uh, is praying with his friends, Peter of one of them, and uh, the Roman soldiers and the high priests all come to arrest Jesus in the darkness of night. And Peter, full of bravado and wanting to save his friend, lashes out with his sword and cuts off this dude's ear. Not quite what Jesus intended. Same thing. I mean, there's a whole garrison of soldiers there and one guy with a puny little dagger. Not thinking. And I'm sure you'll remember, Peter was really quick to declare that night. Lord, even if others leave you, if others desert you, Jesus, I'll never desert you. Words that were easy to say, but turned out impossible for him to live. See, Peter, Peter wasn't as solid as he hoped he was. These patterns show me that there are thoughts and emotions going on in there that that demonstrate uh, some kind of, um, I suppose, just just where Peter was at and, and how he lived, but not forever. Because the reason I chose Peter this morning is that for Peter, as a disciple, he was erratic, made mistakes, and often spoke out of turn. And there was more examples that I could have put in from the Scriptures. But the reason I chose Peter, and the reason I want you to look at Peter, is because in Peter, we see the hope of transformation. We literally get to follow the story that we're going to see this morning. In Peter, that there's hope. Because if Peter can be transformed, there's hope that I can be transformed. And there's hope that you could be transformed, if that's what you're thinking. So that's, that's what we're going to look at. But let's have a look at the next slide. My friends from Strength to Strength, my new friends say this, spring clean your mind. Your thoughts and feelings come from you, but they're not the essence of you. And if you could click again, we'll just highlight this last one for people to see. You can interrupt, challenge, and replace them when you need to. God has created us as human beings in his likeness, but he is inviting us into life with him in order that he would transform us. He would take our brokenness, like he did with Peter, and he would take him to a new place. And that's my prayer for us as a church. Before I get back to Peter, we need to take a bit of a shallow dive into a really deep pool. If you could um, click the screen for me, that would be great. I want to look at the electricity in your brain. You know you got electricity in your brain? I didn't. Like, I, I didn't like science at school. But uh, I will apologize to all the science and biology experts and the doctors that are actually literally in the room um, if I get this uh, a little bit too simple, but I'm a simple bear. So, uh, and and, and what I am going to do is I'm going to quote a website that I I found only because otherwise if I was free, free running this, I'd definitely get it wrong. So in your brain, in your nervous system, is the... What's called the neuron, but we we would know that commonly if you've watched uh, any TV shows, brain cells, or you know, in the in schoolyard when you go, oh, you lost all your brain cells. You know, they talk about the neurons in your brain, which are pathways, and 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 it's charged by uh, an electrical kind of process. So I, won't, I I don't understand it, so I can't get into it. But it, it, but the electricity in your brain is what sends messages, and those are called brain waves. You've heard that before. Have you heard of brainwaves before? Okay, so brainwaves. And, and the average human brain has 86 billion neurons, which are like message channels. 86 billion. Put both hands on your head and go, wow. Okay, so what I want you to do now is hold up, hold up my hand and wiggle your fingers. So just imagine your fingers are like these neurons that are wires that are sending messages around your brain. But look at your hand. Most of you will have five or four and a half fingers. And, um, and, and so we've got, we've got our fingers, and these are the wires, but you've got how many in your brain? 86 billion, okay? And what happens is, is, is that there are, there's, just hold up one finger. This one neuron could have a connection with about 10,000, hold up your other hand and wiggle your fingers. This finger could have 10,000 connections with other neurons in your brain. Like, 
What the heck? And, and, and so we've got this thing going on where electricity transform, transmits information along the wires and one wire could connect with up to 10,000 at one time and send messages to them. Like, hold your head and go, wow. Supercomputer. So, so what happens is a message goes along the wire and it transmits to another one. So touch two fingers together, but they don't touch. If I could see the next slide. There's a gap. It's called the synapsis. And this is, this is where the messages get, so I did a selfie, see? This is my selfie um, I did the other day. Messages in the brain. But that gap between those two neurons here, like I'm going to quote my experts, 20 millionths of a millimeter. That's how big the gap is. So your fingers aren't touching, but they're close, 20 millionths of a millimeter gap. And they're sending between 5 and 50 messages a second. Now, here's the key. This is why I showed you this. You're welcome, by the way. The more signals sent between two neurons, touch your fingers again, the more signals sent between two neurons, the stronger the connection grows. And with each new experience and each reinforcement of that signal, a stronger connection grows, which creates what? A pattern. So reinforced messages create patterns in your brain, which creates patterns in your behavior. And what scientists have proven is you can choose, so switch fingers, change the pattern. Hold your head. Hold your head. Say after me, God, you're so amazing. I mean, look at, look at the person next to you. God took, that, God took an idea and some mud and breathed on it, and look what's next to you. And inside that skull is a brain with 86 billion neurons that sends all these messages so that you could just pick up your coffee. If that doesn't make us fall down and worship him, I'm like, what's wrong with us? What's my point? If I could have the next slide. Here's my point. Because it's coming back to Peter. The most dominant repeated message builds the strongest and fastest connection. The most dominant repeated message builds a connection. So if it's not a good message, it still builds a connection. If it's a good message, it builds a great connection that is helpful. We talk about muscle memory when we work with sports people and they train their bodies to be in repetition, repetition so the golfer just swings the same way every time. A good friend of mine, Andrew Stroud, is a motorcycle racer, nine times New Zealand champion, races motorcycles at over 300 kilometers an hour. And one day I watched him come around a corner and there were two guys on the track lying in the middle of the track. And at, at just under 300 kilometers an hour, he weaved like that between them and carried on without flinching. I'm like, bro, how do you do that? Like, is, is there a blur on the sides? And, you know, because I've seen movies, you know, so I kind of know what it's like. His brain has been trained to operate in such a way that he just naturally avoids it. King Saul, again, can't psychoanalyze him. I might be wrong. I'm taking a guess. But his behavior, repeated behavior of hiding, indicates repeated emotions. Remember Laura's theory? Uh, not Laura's theory, but the theory that Laura shared. Sorry. Repeated behavior shows us that there's repeated emotions, which come from what? Repeated thoughts, messages. Peter, lashing out without wisdom. Repeated behavior shows repeated emotions, which shows repeated thoughts. If you, if you have learned control, guess where that comes from is behavior. Repeated emotions. If you've learned fear as a natural response to situations, that's your pattern. It's wired into you. Praise God. He created the brain 
in a way that it could be legal. Touch your two fingers and swap finger. That's what God does. So good. If you have a look at this cartoon, I want to want to take you somewhere. The heart is running away, chasing a butterfly, following its emotion. But the brain is saying, hey, you, come this way. I want you to watch this really short video from a movie that many of you might recognize. It's the movie Fireproof. Put your hand up if you've seen Fireproof. It's a scene in the middle of the movie, well, near the end actually, where um, Michael has a chat to Caleb. And I've just caught 50 seconds of it. So if we could click a couple of times to get the volume up. Watch what Michael, the black guy, says to Caleb, the white guy. Just so you know which one's which. Michael, I have worked with you for five years. You've never told me that. Because I'm not proud of it. Before I gave my life to the Lord, and man, I was just only concerned about my rights and my needs. Man, I ruined her life. But when I gave my life to God, I tried to find her, but she had already remarried. So believe me when I tell you I got a big scar. Man, God meant marriage to be for life. That's why you got to keep your vows to Catherine. You got to beg God to teach you how to be a good husband. And don't just follow your heart, man, because your heart can be deceived. But you got to lead your heart. So click again. That phrase became uh, quite common as a result of this movie. Uh, Don't just follow your heart. Because your heart can be deceived. Your emotions or your feelings or even a belief system inside of you may not be God's truth. We have a saying in our church where we contrast what I call little t truth, which is true according to me, with capital T truth, which is true according to God. And sometimes we need to lead our heart away from little t truth or what might be reality, into a new space and a new place. And that's what we're calling leading your heart. You need to decide how much control you're going to give to your emotions. But if the Lord points something out to you, the invitation is to do something about it and lead your heart away from that pattern into a new pattern so that you change the pathway. And it's not surprising for me to tell you that's actually how God made your brain. He designed your brain to rewire itself based on new patterns, dominant messages that create new pathways. I want to repeat this again so it sinks in this next slide. Emotions are real and valid and they're God-given. They're what he gave us and it's how we live together and and it shouldn't be ignored. But what we do with those emotions, that's the key. That's going to determine whether that emotion is helpful for us or whether it's actually not helping us. Please don't hear any judgment or criticism here. I have been open on purpose so that you know I am on this journey. But every one of us is on this journey as well. Well, every possibility to allow Jesus to change us. The next slide. Because what we don't want, and this is my theme, is I don't want us to be a family who miss out on the joy of Jesus. The joy of Jesus is our inheritance. It's what he gave his life for, that each one of us would live in that space but sometimes we move away from it. So this next slide, again, the simple three points, is really how we understand that we can lead our emotions. Before I have an emotion, before I have a feeling or an internal reaction, there is a thought that precedes that. And so when we talk about leading our heart, we've got to do that deliberately. We have to put ourselves in a place where we say, like my My uh, granddad used to say, no more stinking thinking. Because that's what's driving it sometimes. Again, it's come from somewhere. We're not going to psychoanalyze ourselves today, but remember the most dominant repeated messages create the strongest, fastest pathways. Praise God. If you have the next slide, we need to think about what it is that we're repeating. We can actually proactively, deliberately, intentionally think about 
the thoughts that we focus on repeating because those are the ones that are building dominant neural pathways. Neural pathways just means the connection between two neurons. Okay? But here's my point. I could send you off to a life coach. Who would help you? They'd probably challenge you. Your counsellor would help you with your thinking. What's behind that thought? Where did that come from? And there are people very gifted in that, and, and uh, some counsellors in our church even. And we honour that, and we esteem that, as we have as a church for a very long time in this community. But here's the problem. If you do it without God, you're missing the one who wired the brain in the first place. So what I'm not doing is I'm not putting the responsibility on you and saying, gee, I hope you work it out. You know, perhaps get some health, self-help books. You know, go to the library and get an armful of self-help books. That'll be all you need. No, absolutely not. Go to counselling. Yep, and sometimes we do refer people to counselling. There are seasons in life where we all need someone to walk with us through that season as a safe person to help us in, with an external perspective. And I'm not saying that that's not helpful. It absolutely is. And that's why we put in place supervision with um, Laura uh, in our staff context. But to do it without God is just, just not, not wise. It's better, better, better to know that God wants to renew your mind. He wants to bring you to a place of renewal. If we could, if we could have the next slide. Um, I want to point you to, and I'll read out Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, which I'm sure some of you have heard before. Paul writes to the church, meaning you and me. Romans 12, 1 and 2. He writes to the church. Okay, dear brothers and sisters. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them, your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. See, worship isn't just about music. It's about giving ourselves and our lives to him. But verse two, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, perfect. Please take note of that scripture. Please read that scripture this week. One writer says this. Verses 1 and 2, Paul summarizes the acts of worship, which the grace of God should inspire in the life of every Christian. One, the presentation of our physical bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. Two, and this is an act of worship, listen, the transformation of our minds. Have you ever thought of that? That you allowing your mind to be renewed and transformed by God is an act of worship? Now, I did a whole bunch of research in this because I thought this was my key passage and it's not. So I apologize. We'll save that for another day. Because I wanted to unpack it because there's so much goodness in here when you understand Paul's articulate wording around the meaning of transformation and renewal, bringing it back to original design. But that's as much as I can give you because God's asked us to finish with Peter. But if we can just have the next slide, it's just a summary for those of you that want to take a photo, write notes, or catch it when you get the podcast, is why is the renewing of our mind necessary? It's the appropriate response to God's grace. Your renewing of your mind and your willingness to let go and let God is an act of worship. And with all that he's done for you in giving Jesus Christ as a sacrifice and rescuing you out of your brokenness and putting you at the right hand of God himself with life full of promises, the best thing you could do is give yourself back to him in worship. And that includes your mind. Secondly, Surrender and dedication is worship. And thirdly, if you look at the back end of verse 2, don't miss the goodies. Don't deny yourself the fact that God's got a reward for you when you do this. Then you will know, learn to know God's will for you. Oh, well, that's a good outcome. So if you allow God to renew your mind, he's going to lead you into divine guidance. But I'm not going to unpack that today. Instead, next slide, let's look at Peter. Because he's the main character. He's the guy. He's not the hero of the story. Who's the hero of the story? Just checking. Peter's the main character, but he's not the hero. I want, I want to take you to John 21. I want to take you to the end of the Gospel of John, 
So Jesus has died. He's done some really cool things, which we won't go into today. And he comes back and he appears um, several times to his friends. And we have a look at uh, John 21, verse 3 to 5. Simon Peter said, guys, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, brothers, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Now let's just pause. Let's have a think about Peter, the erratic disciple who didn't, go, it didn't end well for him the night Jesus was arrested, did it? Remember that? I'll never desert you, Jesus, even if everyone else deserts you. What did he do? What did he do? Three times he denied Christ, right? So have a think. What's going on in this man's heart? What's going on in his mind? I mean, Jesus told him to stay in Jerusalem. Tarry not until the Holy Spirit comes. Go, stay here. And what's he done? He's gone off to the lake to go fishing. And, and, he, and he's probably, you know, wrestling to get to sleep at night with the sound of the rooster crowing in his head. Well, I would be. Remembering that night where I wished, I just wished I'd had the strength and the fortitude to do what I said I would do, but I couldn't. And I didn't. And I regret it. Now Jesus is gone and I can't say I'm sorry. I watched him be led away in, in the hands of the soldiers. I watched him get flogged and beaten and whipped until he was unrecognizable. And then I watched him carry the cross up the hill and, and I watched them nail him to that cross. And I didn't get to say I'm sorry. And I didn't get to do the right thing. I didn't get to, to make the wrong into a right. What's going on inside the man's heart and his mind? echo of the rooster crowing in his head. There's a major point I want you to see. I'm about to point to it. And this should bring you hope, as it brings me hope. This should bring you an expectancy for this morning that is beyond anything that you came with. But here's the point. Jesus always initiates our renewal. Jesus always initiates our renewal. Here we find him. The guys are not even where they're supposed to be, and Jesus is on the edge of the lake. Guys, guys, come in. This should be a message of hope for you. It's a message of hope for me. It doesn't matter what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, or what I've done wrong. Jesus always initiates our renewal. He's the one that lights the spark. But the trigger for that spark is now in you. Spark of joy, I promise you this morning, I promise you, I can give you the confident assurance that's unshakable inside me that Jesus is here and he's waiting because he's ready to initiate your renewal this morning. No shadow of a doubt in my mind. He's waiting to do a miracle in your life. There are three keys that we can see in Peter and they're in the scripture and we're going to look at them. The first one, these are the three keys to your renewal. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your journey is whether you have known him for five minutes or five years or five lifetimes. Jesus has keys for your renewal. The first one is this. Jesus feeds Peter. All the men say, amen. Look, no, it's in the, it's in the scripture, verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon some questions. That's awesome. Like, am I the only one that's excited about that? Surely not. But, but what does this speak to? More than food, this speaks to intimacy. Think about the Jewish culture. Think about the way these boys were raised. They were raised that the home was a place of love and fellowship. And when you invite someone into your home and you provide the food for them, you're offering them the intimacy of covenant and fellowship. You're offering connection. You're inviting them to do life with you. They took meal and, and the covenant of meal incredibly seriously. And what is Jesus saying to his friend in this moment? I am willing to be in relationship with you. What is Jesus saying to us this morning? I'm willing to be in relationship with you. He sees us in our brokenness. He sees us in our failure. He sees us in our insecurity or our pig-headedness. And he says, I'm willing to be in relationship. 
also not unreasonable for us to make a connection here between Jesus being the bread of life, which they would have eaten, and Jesus being the word of God. Well, that's not a that's not a major jump, is it? You can see what I've done there? Jesus, bread of life, word of God. What are we supposed to feed on? The word of God. Jamie did a fantastic message last month on honoring the word of God and having it as a regular discipline in your life. I'd encourage you to listen to it again. It was a great message. It pointed at the importance of every single one of us having a daily discipline of feeding on Scripture. Uh, The date for that message was the 21st of July. If you're going to go looking for it in our app, find it. It was a good message. The second thing, we have a look at this, is Jesus calls him Simon. Well, that's okay because his mother called him Simon. No, no, no. Remember, Jesus had renamed him to Peter. He said, you shall be Peter on this rock, this revelation, Peter meaning rock. Upon this revelation, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Peter, and yet he wasn't as solid as he thought he was. Why does he call him Simon? He does it three times. Well, I think. This is what I think. I think Jesus is reminding Simon, who is Peter, of his weakness his brokenness, and his tendency to be in the flesh, not in the spirit. Because that's what we are as humans, frail, weak, prone to sin, and breaking our lives all the time. And Jesus isn't judging or condemning him when he says this, because on the back end of the Simon is a question, which is an invitation. But let us not miss the point We've got to hold God in the, right, in, the, in the right light and we've got to hold ourselves in the right light. Too many people elevate themselves to Lord of their life and think that they can make decisions without Him. One writer says, the funny thing about the altar of self-sacrifice is often we crawl off it. Did you miss that? I thought it was quite funny. Is it too close to home? Not sure. But, but the point is, Jesus looks at us and despite what He sees... He's filled with love and grace and an invitation into that love and grace. Simon, he says, do you love me? Man who was broken, who denied me, who rejected me at the night that I needed him, do you love me? Let us not miss the point that we are flesh and frail and he is God and he is holy. And that's not a bad thing. That should give us all the hope we need. I want you to see the question that Jesus asks. Simon, do you love me? He, he asked it three times. This is an invitation for us and our brokenness into the love that God has for us. Every single one of us, regardless of who you are, where you've come from, what you've done or what you think of yourself, Jesus says, come into my love. Come broken, come frail, come prone to weakness and failure. Come into my love. Because it's the love of Jesus that overcomes all of our weakness. It overcomes all of our brokenness and all of the failing forward that we tend to do. We've got to remember our position before God. He is God and we are not. A couple of weeks ago, Ash spoke a great message about the reverence of God, the fear of the Lord. And in it, she said the contrast between the God who created the heavens and the earth and that that, uh, is omnipotent and in all places and he's, he's amazing, created the heavens and the earth. And then we've got loving dad that we can crawl up into his lap and call him Abba Father. Our attention of the two. It's a great message. You should track it down on our app. The date for that is the 4th of August. What's my point? We should take a reverent position before God. Finally, I want you to see this last point. Jesus asks the question three times. And in the context of today's message, why is that important? It takes repetition to rewire your brain. Like I said before, the most dominant repeated messages are the ones that form the strongest connection. So those things that we repeat are what forms the strongest pathways to reinforce. So if Jesus is going to do something in your life, there's a high chance he's going to do it more than once. Why? Because we need to be rewired. And he knows that because he made our brain. So we've got to go into this renewal process that Paul's talking about, the renewal of our mind as an act of worship and a repeated discipline that we would come before him and worship and allow him to renew our minds. 
It's not a one-trick pony. You don't clip your ticket once and get to heaven. Well, you can, but you're going to miss out. His life now is what he's designed to be so much better. If only we would yield ourselves to it. Here's the thing about Peter. He's an impulsive guy who made massive errors based on repeated patterns. Sounds like me. Maybe it sounds like you. But Peter did something that we need to do. Peter did something that's necessary for all of us to walk into renewal. Absolutely no exceptions, no mistakes. Everyone's got to do it. We've got to do what Peter did. Peter went on to be the leader of the church. Flick the pages, two pages, and you see him standing up and preaching a powerful sermon under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people were saved on the first day of the church in Jerusalem. So he was a goof, but he turned out all right. Why? Because he allowed Jesus to renew him through that process. As we see on the screen, feeding on Scripture, understanding we're frail and broken, but coming before him as Lord and Savior. Peter went on to be transformed, and you can too. He found joy of Jesus in the love of Jesus. And you can as well. Like I said, he had the sound of the rooster crowing in his head in the morning. But before renewal took place, Peter had to leave the past behind. How did he do it? Verse 7. John 21, verse 7. The disciple Jesus loved, who was John, in the fishing boat, said to Peter, Hey, look, it's the Lord, meaning Jesus. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, because he had been fishing, uh, and he jumped into the water and headed to shore. So what do you have to do? Same thing he had to do. Jump out of the boat. No alternative. The question I've got for you this morning is, if God's tapping on your heart, if there are emotions, there are patterns, or there's something that's been highlighted to you in this time that we've spent together through Julie's communion message, through the time of fellowship and prayer, or through this message itself, God might be tapping on your heart. He might be saying, hey, son, hey, daughter, that emotion, that pattern, it's time for you to give it to me because I want to bring renewal to your mind. And I'm asking you, are you willing to leap out of the boat? I'm going to play a song uh, on the, not the, and, um, and because we don't have a band this week, we gave them the week off. But there is, a, there is a song for you, and it's a song for you to contemplate. Not the song, really, but what Jesus is saying to you. Because there's an invitation. He always initiates our renewal. And as this song plays, I'm going to invite you just to sit where you are and contemplate him. But I'm also, I'm also saying that Peter jumped out of the boat, and you need to too. And so we like to create the space up here just as an altar of grace. You can get out of your chair, come up here as a sign to him of your commitment and surrender to allowing him to bring renewal where he wants to. We might float around, we might have the team praying. If you want prayer, just catch one of our attention. But otherwise, you might just sit here or stand here or kneel and allow God to work in your heart. Jesus always initiates renewal and he knows what you need better than anyone else. So Jesus, we invite you to come with your grace and your love to minister to us, Lord, as only you can this morning. Heal our hearts. Touch our hearts. Bring healing. Just allow the music to minister to you. I know I found my God to you I now I still forever Jesus I surrender Show me what I don't know More of you I'm desperate for your presence Longing to be with you Lead me to a new place More of you Come on, you sing Through the fire I'll persevere Come on 
Sure. 